This week, over half the football is postponed, so rather than talk about our loved ones and estranged family members, we discuss Hamill Turkey, the eternal debate finally answered, favourite Boxing Day leftovers recipes, and what's your favourite chocolate from the Cadbury Favourites box. My name's Tommy C, and joining me this week is Colby. Yes, I've actually got the the, the guest panelist's name right this time. <laughs> uh, Colby, how was your Christmas, mate? You have a good one? Uh, hello, Tommy, and hello to all of our listeners. Uh, Merry Christmas or happy holidays to all, whatever is your poison. Um, yeah, it was it was good, mate. Good good day. Um, yeah, glad to be on holidays. It's um very underrated time of year. Fair enough. All right. Um, shall we just uh, crack onto it into moment of the week? What you got? Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, don't have a really specific moment of the week this week, but I tell you what, the the uh, Boxing Day. Premier League fixtures and and the fixtures in this round, which we'll talk about, were just delightful. Um, lo- so many goals scored, so many great games. Uh, just like nineteen sixty three all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that um, score sheet that gets um, reeled out every year at Boxing Day, and um, yeah, it pretty it pretty much delivered this year. And it was a, even more of a pleasant surprise because of the the threat of postponements and match cancellations and things like that that was hanging over it. And, um, yeah, so it was extra delightful that we got some really excellent games. Very good. Um, all right, for me, my moment of the week this week is, uh, look, it could very easily be that um, uh, my, my Christmas present this year, my, my old man, he he went to quite some lengths this year to, to get some, uh, to get a Christmas present for me and, um, He's like in my family, we're not normally great gift uh, gift givers, but this year he, he managed to dig up some some Wollongong Wolves merch for me, which uh, he How got good. me a scarf, a cap, and a beanie. Which um, yeah, as like I said, we're not not great gift givers in in my family, but um, yeah, that that was pretty cool. I thought. I mean, I don't even know where he would have got it from because I mean, I, I've looked at look for Wolves merch before, and like it, the club site is is pretty sparse. So I mean, being an NPL club, so. Um, but yeah, I thought that was that was pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll save the other thing that I've got for for my own goal though. Um, Colby, <laughs> what what about you, mate? What was your what was your own goal? Some more surprises for the listeners, Tommy. <laughs> you, you've just got to stick with us um, to to hear what Tommy's uh, second Christmas gift was. Um, <laughs> own goal, own goal for me this week. I, I don't know whether I've been following this whole um, Sturridge's dog saga since oh. 2019, and I, I don't know which part of this is the actual own goal. It might just be the whole thing. But um, I first started out by thinking that Killer Fame uh, was was the own goal in all of this because I, I, back in back in 2019, let's start from the start. Back in 2019, for any listeners who might have forgotten, um, we saw Sturridge appeal on Twitter for the return of his lost slash stolen Pomeranian. Um, offering to pay a big reward, um, and and lo and behold, uh, Foster Washington, this LA rapper, aka Killer Fame, came forward um, with the dog, but uh, says he was never paid. Um, so off he goes to an LA court and obtains a default judgment against Sturridge for the amount of the reward which Sturridge um, promised over Twitter, um, said to be 
you know, tens of thousands of pounds. Um, but, uh, and just the fact that he goes and sues for it, I, I felt was a bit of a known goal. Before the listeners get into our mentions on Twitter, <laughs> I know it's a unilateral contract. I know Sturridge is technically on the hook for it. He's, he's made an offer and um, Foster Washington has accepted by his performance. But the whole situation just stinks. Like Sturridge stinks <laughs> for not paying the bloke. Even if the bloke stole the dog, I guess he should have. He should hold up his end of the bargain and just fork out. But like, how desperate do you have to be to sue someone for not paying you a reward for finding their lost dog? And I mean, we don't even know if this guy didn't steal it in the first place. So let's be generous and say that he didn't. But uh, the whole situation is just cooked, mate. This this was going to be my the other own goal or the other the other piece of news that I had, and you have done it far more justice than I don't think I ever could in the the level of detail. But you're right. This this whole story, which I think someone had, I think you might have had it as their own goal a couple of years ago on the show. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just it's a wild ride from beginning to end, and the fact that it's come to an equally wild sort of conclusion just oh. Chef's kiss. <laughs> I mean, Sturridge might appeal it. It might keep going on because uh, it's just the sort of first step in the in the court process. And there was a default judgment issued, which means that Sturridge didn't rock up. Like it was it was an LA court, so he didn't answer the claim or anything. So you basically the judgment is automatic. But Sturridge would still have an appeal right. Like this could go on. Um, Sturridge also came out on Twitter during the week and said, "Oh well, look, I actually did pay, and I've got all this photo evidence and." You know, paid the kid and he was really happy. And But uh, I don't know. It seems a bit vague. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, you know, surely this LA court would have had to have some kind of evidence to make a ruling uh, about this uh, in, in favour of Foster Washington. So, uh, look, I don't know, but it's just the whole situation. All of this playing out while uh, poor Sturridge is stuck in quarantine in Brisbane or, or possibly in WA um, um, now. So it's it's just um, the guy's not having a good good 2021, is he? Yeah, the man's brought like a lot of headlines to the A-League so far for like seven match minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wowie. Um, yeah, he needs to get, I- like He honestly needs to start playing football soon because otherwise like his whole time here will just be a meme. Like... You've got the the songs on Instagram. You've got this dog saga, like the the barber um, mm. uh, audition process. Like, uh, you know, it's threatening just to become uh, an absolute meme circus. So he just needs to get on and, and start like scoring bangers and and playing really well for Perth. And I think he has come here wanting to play. I don't think he's. I guess it's not not quite clear yet whether or not he came here with sort of this attitude of oh, it's just going to be a holiday. But I mean, in a lot of ways, it's all been taken out of his hands with COVID and stuff. And like you say, it's at, at the risk of becoming a just a meme. But I mean, he hasn't really had a lot of control over it, just no. sort of uh, being uh, sort of escalating out of control. Um, look, mate, as as far as own goals for me go, though, I, I think it's hard to compete against that. And so. Look, uh, my, my one's going to be pretty short and sweet, short and sweet, and it's going to be the the final goal uh, scored by Melbourne Victory in um, uh, against the uh, against the Woo on Boxing Day night. Uh, Nick D'Agostino, I think, uh, ended up getting the goal there. But something I wanted to mention from the lead up to that, which was um, Neil Kilkenny's uh, witch's hat impersonation, where he stuck a leg out, sort of just um, just sort of Daria esque. I don't know if you remember that show from from the ABC from the nineties yeah. and two thousands, but it, it was it was really like that, and I guess I want to want to throw out a question now related to that. W- what was more pathetic, um, Neil Kilkenny's attempt to 
to tackle there or um, England's uh, performance in the Ashes this morning on the third day Oof. of the Boxing Day test. <laughs> and for context, or for any of our listeners who might not be following the Ashes, England um, were, were bowled out on, what is it, day three now of the Boxing Day test um, in a morning session. They lost six wickets for like 30-something runs in an absolute capitulation. So, But having said that, I think Neil Kilkenny's tackle or attempted challenge was pretty pathetic. So, um, <laughs> and, and I'll say more about him when we when we come to reviewing that match. But, um, yeah, they were, both, they were both up there, Tommy. I feel really sad for um, poor Sal, who we know is watching along right now, because um, he has no idea what we're talking about. So if, if someone else wants to jump into the comments and explain what cricket is to Sal, that would be much appreciated, I think. Yeah, maybe I didn't take that far enough back. <laughs> <laughs> so they're playing cricket right now in Melbourne. <laughs> the Premier League, the A-League, the Ashes and more. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into some uh, listener questions. Uh, first up, one from me, though. Uh, I mentioned this at the top, Colby. Uh, Christmas lunch, ham or turkey? What's your preference? Tommy, you can't ask listener questions when you're the host, mate, can you? Well, <laughs> look, hey, look, they, I used to, there used to be plenty of, uh, uh, plenty of uh, noise thrown at me for, for not listening to the pod. And look, now I've, I'm a changed man. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely tuning in every week, whether or not I'm on the pod or not. So I'm definitely a listener these days. So I was wondering where that big spike in our listenership had come from. <laughs> it's um, just me Tommy, listening to it on all the different apps, yeah. You can't go past you can't go past ham on on Christmas Day. Like Ooh. I mean, everyone everyone uh, you know has ham or turkey or both that that I know of. That that seems to be the what the majority does in in this country. But um, you know, turkey it's a dry bird, isn't it? It's just it's just a drier version of chicken. <laughs> Just a, just a leaner version. I, I tell you what, if there's one thing I do like about turkey, it's sort of like the only time that cranberry sauce tends, uh, tends to come out. And uh, the, the cranberry sauce and turkey combo, I mean, as far as Anglo food goes, that's uh, that's on point as far as I'm concerned. Ooh, give me ham and, ham and horseradish any day. Horseradish? Ooh, spicy. Oh, yeah. Literally. <laughs> All right, into some actual actual listener questions now. Um, at Run Their Memes asks, uh, who started the COVID outbreak at Western City Wanderers and why was it James Troisi? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, got, I've gonna... got no... I mean, it has to be Troisi, doesn't it? <laughs> there's, there's no one else that it possibly could have been, right? Yeah. I um, mean, unless we just want to keep blaming things on Robinson, JT or Costello, so... Well, well, I guess one one person that it could have been was uh, Gary Van Egmont. He he slid in from from Newcastle, where we know that there's a bit of a, a excuse me, a bit of a COVID outbreak there. So, um, could it have been him? Yeah, he might have brought it in. Sleeper agent from Newey. Hmm. And look, I guess on a serious note, it's uh, I was going to shoehorn this in a little bit later about Gary Van Egmont, but um, does that sort of uh, seem a little bit odd to you, especially the way that it was announced as well? Like, I mean, it's a backroom announcement, right? A backroom staff announcement. It probably doesn't deserve its own sort of uh, Twitter post, does it? Or social media post? Oh, I mean, yeah. Future coach, I mean, future coach or manager in waiting, is he? Oh, it's a bit of a joke more than anything because the fans have been raging in recent weeks. They want blood. They want to see rid of the manager, the CEO, the football ops person. Like, 
and then they get another former Newey staffer uh, as a, as a, as an assistant. Um, but I mean, yeah, it could be could be nice for an interim manager though. I've seen a few people sort of making that connection, and I think yeah, it might this might be a bit of maneuvering by the, the club to sort of go well. If we don't have anyone to replace Carl Robinson, at least we've got a sort of steady pair of hands at the wheel. We'll get him in there. We'll get him used to the setup, and then if we need to pull the trigger on robinson then we can so from that perspective it sort of makes sense but it, yeah. it's just like everyone at uh the wanderers like it, it's like the meme of the the leaking tank and they they slap on another thing from newcastle <laughs> onto whether it's a player or a manager backroom stuff anyone just just get him in there You'd be pretty pissed off, wouldn't you, if you're a Western Sydney fan and you, you're wanting real change at the club and, <laughs> and give you this just dross like another. I mean, no, that's no disrespect to Gary Van Egmont. I'm sure he's a um, very capable football person. Championship um, winning manager. Championship winning manager. But come on. I mean, they, they're, they're looking for something a bit more inspiring than this and, and the change is a bit more wholesale than this, but I, I don't know if they're going to get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, other uh, listener questions. There's one final one. This one from friend of the pod, Shannon. He asks, "Who is the best footballer born on Christmas Day?" Um, now, th- I had to I had to do a little bit of digging, and I could only find two. Uh, Glad you've I'll googled, just... Tommy, because I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the the two that I at least knew of, uh, uh, and one of them's not even from this generation. One of them's Chris Kamara. Um, of that sort of Sky Sports uh, fame of just not not paying attention to the football uh, while he was the the uh, sideline uh, correspondent, and the other one was your boy Emmy Buendia, born on Christmas Day. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to go with Buendia, my boy. I mean, look, I, I think there is one one person that we haven't talked about, and that's that's got to be Jesus Christ. I mean, everyone thinks <laughs> that he just walks on water, which I mean. It, it, sometimes you, you just got to know when to when to to um, pull him off off the pitch and 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 sub him because uh... <laughs> sometimes you got to know when to bring him on um, at the end of a clutch World Cup qualifier to nod in the the, the winner and and you know send you to Rio. Oh wow! I feel like uh, I'm I'm right on the edge of making a whole bunch of really inappropriate jokes. So I think we'll move on from there. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, we'll get into the A League Round Six. Yeah, we look nice. Future looking nice. We don't need to tell them twice. Yeah, we look nice. Future looking real nice. We don't need to tell them twice. Kilkenny. In it goes again. It's desperate defending by victory. Now they could be able to race clear. It's Rojas. Kilkenny could make the challenge. as Balupale to his left. Rojas should surely play a teammate in. He does eventually. D'Agostino! That'll do it for Melbourne victory. And Nick D'Agostino scores off the bench for the second time in a week. And the three points are secured. Melbourne victory will be top of the shot tonight. Uh, so just the two games to discuss this week uh, from the A-League after a whopping four games were cancelled either either on the day of uh, or in the lead up to uh, those matches. Um, but before we do that, Colby, um, want to get into a Christmas-related question. What's your favourite Boxing Day leftovers recipe or Christmas Day leftovers recipe on Boxing Day? Well, it has to be the has to be the the ham sandwich that with the leftover Christmas ham. You've you've just got to you've just got to find a couple of bits of uh, nice bread and a bit of cheese and mustard and whatever else you want. And Ooh, that no horseradish this time. 
I mean, you could, you definitely could, um, if you if you're so inclined. Um, but if you want to dial down the uh, the, the spiciness, you could uh, you could go for a bit of Dijon mustard or something like that. Mm. Get, get that on a in between two bits of bread with some cheese. You're talking my language now. A little bit of Dijon. Ooh. Can't go Very wrong. Nice. All right, uh, into into some football now, though. Um, the A-League festive round kicked off belatedly as the VUC hosted the Wu in the Battle of the Balti Bridge. Uh, the VUC took away all three points in a, in a pretty solid 3-1 win. Colby, were the, were the VUC too good or were the, the Wu just desperately missing Diamante? Both. Both. Uh, the VUC were good. I caught the second half of this live and watched the then watched the mini-match. Um mm-hmm. The Vuk just looked like they were running all over the place. Although the the Wu were, were threatening um, in that second half, the the Vuk just never looks like they were going to give up a goal in that um, in that late in that second half. Uh, when I was watching, um, they had Kilkenny doing that Diamante role, like being the sort of centre of everything, and he mm. looked he looked good while he was in the centre of the park. But I just found him desperately wanting on his set piece delivery it was like every like they got so many corners and it was just going nowhere every time he couldn't find anyone with it and maybe that was credit to the vuck defense a little bit as well but um diamante just couldn't find anyone he was he was spraying it around a bit running around in the middle but ultimately it was just ineffective and then yeah then that defensive effort for the <laughs> third goal was just pathetic it was a really strange game um like you say i felt like um, the the Vuk were good defensively, but I always felt like the Wu the Wu were a chance if they could sort of string one or two extra passes together. Uh, I think there was one one chance where um, Prius, uh, Lockie Wales, and I think Colin Payne were sort of like three on one, and they managed to just fuck it up. And I think um, I think it might have been Damo in the group chat that he and I both were just like spamming the group chat saying how how did they not score then or at least get like mm. a shot on target, and it was it, it seemed to be sort of uh, emblematic of of the Woos uh, the Woos game like they they seemed to be in the game but they just mm. couldn't quite sort of connect uh, connect the dots in the in the final final third and I mean I think any team that's got um, Lockie Wales playing in the number ten role um, at least in the first half I think is going to be battling to create chances to be perfectly honest yeah and um, not, to, not to take anything away from the vuck who are in good form yeah. at the moment and and can only beat what's in front of them and that and they did so they did the job over the woo but like the woo really had a bad night they were missing diamante to start with and lacroix had his worst game like he's been really he's been a really solid defender but he for the first couple of goals he just you know in the, and in that first half the, the the um mini match that i watched he did not look great um so uh, you know, if if they get their their, their players back and um, you know playing good football again, it just looks like a bad night for the Wu yeah. as well. But credit to the Vuk, you can only beat what's in front of you. It's it's a good point about the the Vuk, and I think um, they they probably do deserve credit for for their performance and um, for for keeping the Wu out for at least I think it was what 80, 85 minutes um, that they they kept the Wu scoreless. Um, on the topic of Lacroix, and um, thank you for bringing this up because I actually didn't have this on my notes, but um, it, it did seem like there was a very deliberate attempt by the uh, the Vuk to to press him. Whereas, excuse me, in previous weeks, I think a lot of teams had thought, "Oh, 
big guy. He's going to be rubbish on the ball. Like if we just if we sit off of him, he's going to cough up the ball or or send or, or sort of spray a bit of a loose pass. And he just hadn't done that so far. And and I think everyone was like, oh wow, like this this guy's actually incredible on the ball. And then this week, um, once it was pressed a little bit, then he started to cough up the ball a little bit. And so um, be very interesting to see if uh, how that plays out in the next couple of weeks with with teams playing against the Woo because they they might have actually um, unearthed something about or a bit of a weakness in the in the Woo um, uh, defensively. So interesting. Yeah, because they look solid in the air, but as you say, Tommy, yeah, a bit of, bit of pressure on them was was the difference in this one. Hmm. Um, I mentioned before that Nick D'Agostino, he he got the the final uh, goal for the Vuck in the the three one win. Um, he came off the bench and it was the second time I think in successive matches that he scored off the bench. Is there a better super stub in the A League at the moment than Nick D'Agostino? Well, not on not on um, current form and current uh, impact that he's having. But I just don't know when people are going to start rating Thick Nick. <laughs> Like Shagostino, he's been good. I've rated him ever since his days at the Raw. Um, and and under Popper at Perth, played really well, and he's doing the same here. Like Popper's uh, just knows how to manage him, evidently, and is is getting the best out of him. And I think if he keeps this form up, like he is one that we will see back in the contention for the Socceroos because if he if he keeps on this trajectory, he's he's one of those. He's just a striker who's a little bit different. He can be an out and out number nine, good in the air. Um, good physicality, decent on the ball, good speed. Um, I, I think he's something a little bit different than the current crop with sort of current names that are getting thrown up. I'm not saying he's better than the likes of a Macca or a Taggart, but he's he's a bit different. We've seen with um, with City and Marco Tilio, there were some reports that he wasn't quite ready to be playing 90 minutes um, or just wasn't, wasn't quite able to see out more than about sort of 45, uh, the intensity required. Do you think that's maybe a problem with Nick, Nick D'Agostino as well, that he's maybe not quite ready to be starting because of not quite a fitness thing, but just uh, mentally slash physically just isn't able to to play with the required intensity for more than about 45 minutes? And that could be why he's so good off the bench, potentially. Um, but if anyone's going to get him fit enough, it's it's going to be Popper, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, get out there, bring out the skinfold tests. <laughs> Uh, another guy from the VAC who's getting big plaudits at the moment is Jake Brimmer. Um, he had a, an, another fantastic game uh, in this one. Should have probably got the – it was sort of the pass before the assist uh, in the lead-up to, I think, the the first goal. Um, do you think he can lead the VAC to, to big things this season or do you think he still maybe needs a little bit further improvement before he's able to to really, uh, I guess, dominate games week in, week out for, for a championship-winning team? I don't know. We've already seen him improve quite a lot from last year. He was the best player in a in a really poor team last season, and mm. and he seems to have continued that development again and um, just improved all aspects of his game. Is he like? I mean, we talk about um, Kilkenny and contrast that to the likes of Brimmer um, and his set piece delivery. It was, I mean, and I'm going to take credit for this because I said, <laughs> you know, what what do you what have you got Brimmer on your set pieces for last season? And ever since I said that, he's looked like amazing his set piece delivery has been just beautiful like free kicks corners he's he's got it all absolutely killing it at the moment i guess uh both in open play and and from for free kicks at the moment um the the result does see um does see melbourne victory go up to first in the in the ladder obviously they've played a, a bunch more games than a whole bunch of teams including perth who've only played four teams and the raw who've only played four teams 
um, but but still uh, interesting times, I guess. And uh, Buck fans are going to be very pleased with their beginning to the to the season, um, especially considering Popper's teams tend to start a little bit slower than um, than maybe other teams do. So very positive early signs, I guess, for for the Vuck. Um, Moving on, though, to the other game that did actually get played this round, which was the McBulls hosting Sydney FC. Um, this was top of the table versus last season's runners-up, um, and you would have thought this is going to be an absolute cracker of a game. Uh, both, to, like Sydney, with a big point to prove. McBulls, uh, who I think went out um, in the, the semifinals last year against Sydney um, and, and would have been thinking, yep, yeah, okay, here is really our opportunity to sort of stamp out stamp our mark on on the season and against uh, one of the the, the best teams of, of recent years in the A-League. But it just didn't really play out that way with, with Sydney running out 3-0 winners. Um, Bobo and LaFondra both didn't play uh, with Patrick Wood and uh, Bahadja both starting. Uh, do you think uh, Sydney are, are better off without Bobo and LaFondra? Well, Sydney are better off without this version of Bobo and LaFondra. Um, you know, just coming back into the squad, um, Bobo, um, you know, hasn't really um, gelled in so far in the way he did in, you know, his first stint with the club where he was just electric. Uh, and then you've got LaFondra who was injured and he, you know, before this ankle, it's an ankle thing now, I think, but before this, he looked like he was um, nursing some kind of strains and aches and pains. So he didn't look like he was at, at 100% either. But we know Sydney have got this sort of sort of quality and depth and youth to fall back on, and it's the it, we've been talking about it on the pod a lot over the years as well. Um, all these kids who can't get a look in, um, and and now we're seeing, yeah, just how talented they are, and we knew that already. Bahaja always been my boy. Uh, mm-hmm. Wood looks looks good, even though he got a bit of a he got a bit of a tap in um, in this game. Uh, Burgess, your ex boy Tommy. Yazbek uh, has played two games so far, I think, and looked brilliant. Uh, Retro had a great game. Caceres is like leading the Alex Tobin medal counts on um, on Paramount Plus. Like, and and all of these guys are, are coming good at the same time. So it's no wonder that uh, Sydney are starting to get performances like this. And now I think you've got Mustafa Faramini coming in, so they're going to be better again. Yeah, and like I mean, sorry. On, before we move on to Mustafi Amini, um, I would have thought that between Wood and Buhaja, that they probably didn't need one of either Babo or Lafondra. And I mean, I doubt Babo or, uh, and Lafondra are on sort of cheap wages. So it, it just strikes me as a little bit strange that they kept both on for this season. When uh, I mean, Wood's a little bit younger than Buhaja. I think Buhaja's what twenty two, twenty three. So. Bahad just not a young player anymore. Like he's he's someone who's at the right age to be stepping up to the uh to becoming, I guess, a, a, a an important player in the first team. But I mean, they, they also need opportunities as well. And, and a thirty-five or thirty-six or thirty-seven year old uh, probably shouldn't be keeping out a uh, a twenty-three year old if if that's where you're uh, hoping to go for the next few years. But anyway. But from um, Sydney's perspective, if you can afford it, why wouldn't you? And clearly yeah. they can't. So, but yeah, and and but the other side of that is what we've been saying about yeah, why are you keeping these guys out? Like, if you developed these guys, you'd probably have better younger players who are cheaper. But you know, I think, that's that's the eternal debate, isn't it? Like whether you're going to sort of give young local kids minutes or whether you're going to you know give it to experienced journeymen. 
I, th- I think with Bahadur, maybe you can understand it because of his his injury record over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, there's, there's probably a pretty strong uh, feeling in the um, in the Sydney camp that um, he's he's not going to be able to make 20 starts throughout a season because he's just gonna he's gonna pick up either niggly injuries or a major injury, which might keep him out for sort of 10 weeks at a time. So I can kind of understand it from that perspective, but but not from Patrick Wood. Uh, I mean, he, he seems to be ready to be playing um, sort of two of every three weeks uh, to be starting. So, um, I mean, that's that's just uh, just my take, but still I guess I'm a little bit surprised. And, and maybe that's just emblematic of playing too many football manager saves and and you get out anyone over 30 and just get in it. Like uh, the, the as soon as they turn 30, they just drop off a cliff. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, but look, like I said uh, just earlier, time to get on to Mustafa Mini. He was announced this week that he uh, would be signing for Sydney uh, as an injury replacement player. Um, great signing, you think, for, for Sydney? Where do you yeah. think he's going to fit in? In the middle of the park. <laughs> no, but I, that, to be fair, he, he, he will likely take the spot of, of a Yazbek or a Retray, which is... Um, Unfortunate. I know he's a bit Musti's a bit more versatile than that, so I don't know exactly how he'll play and whether they're going to stick with the four four two. You'd expect that they would, but um, yeah, the I mean two 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 two. Maybe they'll go back to the four two 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 two. But someone's someone's got to miss out there. But um, yeah, you never know. Hopefully, um, uh, look, you'd have to say it would be Yazbek, but yeah, it'd be a real shame because he's looked brilliant since coming in. I always, I always thought Mustafa Mini was more of a like a like as a ten and and would play in one of those sort of a wide advanced roles. Have I have I totally got the the wrong take on Amini? I haven't seen him a lot since he's been playing in Europe. I must admit I haven't been following his games. But you know when mm. he when he was sort of in and out of the Socceroos and when he was playing here, like he, um, I always thought he was more of an eight and could do a six role, like sort of like a versatile central midfielder. But I don't know. We'll let we'll, yeah, okay. we'll find out exactly um, what he's like when he comes back. So um, watch this space. Yeah, I guess because for me, I thought, oh, like they've signed a mini, fantastic. But it doesn't necessarily seem to me like he'd be a great fit for for what they actually need right now, which is basically a Bratton replacement. And I mean, just from just from memory. When, uh, they didn't seem like similar sorts of players, but maybe it's just my memory letting me down from uh, probably the the three minutes of Mustafa Mani that I actually saw when he was last year, what six or seven years ago, or something like that. So, um, well, Tommy, what, to we can, room. <laughs> what we can count on is that if we've got this take horribly wrong, someone's going to get into our comments on Twitter after this and and uh, let us know exactly what's what. And if I could ask, um, if you are going to get into our comments and let us know exactly what we've got wrong, just just link to some highlights give us a give us a look at him yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good shout um one final thing i guess uh more just a, a broad comment about not only this game but also the melbourne victory game and, and the woo game was that um these two matches they they kicked off simultaneously on a game oh, sorry in a round where there was only going to be two games end up being played um, obviously, the which game was it? The Central Coast and Wellington game. That that game was postponed at late notice uh, the day after this one. But do you, do you think they should have moved this so that it was consecutive kickoffs rather than simultaneous kickoffs? Or I mean, they just weren't to know. Or, or what do you think, Colby? Uh, ideally, yes. But I mean, how easy is that to do in reality? I don't know. I expect it's not 
as easy done as it is to as it is said right like to move an entire fixture logistically people bought tickets i mean not mm. many to this macarthur sydney game but um <laughs> you know I, I i would think that would be not as easy uh to do as it is for people to say oh well this is how it should work and i thought the the um I guess that's a wider discussion, isn't it, around the the um, simultaneous uh, Saturday night kickoffs? Like so far, it hasn't been as electric as I think that people were probably hoping. Tommy, you haven't got your goal rush that um, you know at least you were wishing for. Um, but I don't know. I, I still like the idea of the the simultaneous kickoffs on a Saturday night. There's a bit of buzz around, and and you don't have to you don't have to necessarily wait all night to see like three A-League games in a row. Like, I mean, you and I love that and, the you know, the hardcore fans love that. But I think from um, a streaming perspective, if you can get two games at prime time, that must be what they're thinking. Like the fans of one set of games will, will watch that and the, and the fans of, of the other set of teams will watch the other games. So I think um, one of the issues this season has been that uh, through basically bad luck more than anything is that the the teams or the games that have played um, been on Saturday night, there hasn't been a lot of goals in them so far. So it's <laughs> it's it's just been a bit of a shame that like there hasn't really been a goal rush of any sort in uh, uh, to to excuse the pun in in any of those double headers that have been played simultaneously. So it it hasn't really seemed like there was even two games being played sometimes. So um, and I guess. Like we remember with the FFA Cup, how you'd have like simultaneous kickoffs and they'd have the bell, the ding, 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 ding. And it was like, oh, wow, like what, what's going on? It was something that really caught your attention, right? Um, and, mm. and that was sort of done well from a, from a broadcast perspective. And I don't feel like they've really sort of nailed that um, that mm. side of it yet from from a goal rush. Uh, I think if, if there's one complaint from a lot of people that don't watch a lot of football, it's that, oh, there's not many, there's not enough goals. And so if you, you play two games simultaneously and you cut to the goals from another match, there's, there's a way of sort of in, like artificially increasing the excitement around, uh, around the, the broadcast. And I, I guess the, the problem has been is that unless you're really dialing that up and you have bells or bongos or something as a way of, uh, as a way of, um, really amping up the excitement when when there are goals scored in those those two matches then it just makes things i guess uh, it's just not you're not achieving what you're setting out to achieve so um interesting to see i guess how how um, channel 10 end up evolving um that as they as they go with the broadcast this season well people just have to get their bells fixed in macarthur games uh, until they've, <laughs> they've tightened up this this goal rush concept Exactly. Um, one other thing about the A League before we move on, um, Colby, and that's uh, what did you make of the the Perth quarantine in in Brisbane saga? Did, did you want to talk? Well, we did about touch that? on this last week on the pod, Tommy. So, I mean, of course, you would have heard that as a as a listener to the pod when you when you weren't on it. But um, you know, it really just highlights the problem of of playing like the A League, the A Leagues being the first competition, I suppose, to play in a truly open comp now in, mm. in country with the pandemic, whereas previously it was they were in a, a bio bubble. Um, but it's just, it's unfortunate timing with Omicron, but like the real problem seems to me, and it's highlighted in this Perth quarantine saga, is that you've got different rules across all of the states. And that's mm. where they're really running into problems at the moment, like Perth were over in Queensland and they've both, Queensland and WA have got the, the sort of still the most strict rules at the moment where we're all ostensibly supposed to be opening up. 
but you know, like isolation of close contact is different in different states, and and that's making things more difficult again when you have squads like that have been in touch with a positive case, or there's a positive case in the squad and it knocks the whole squad out. So, like that's where you run into real difficulties, and that's what they're going to have to navigate, and they don't have a lot of control over that. And then you add into the mix lower vax rates among the playing group as a whole, which we've talked about as well. So that's it was always just a car crash waiting to happen and it just remains to be seen what the solution is if anything it always felt like it was going to be perth that we're going to get slammed by this the most and it just so happened that it wasn't just that perth got slammed by it it was that they got also slammed by it over the christmas period as well so it was yeah sucks for the glory yeah yeah really really unlucky not only that it just happened in general but just also the timing which i guess was really unfortunate too yeah They've, they've had a tougher run than than most teams other than Wellington, who we were also mentioning last week as well. Like those two teams have just just had a really crap run over the past couple of years with Wellington haven't even been able to have a home game. So And I even wonder if uh if if Wellington, because they've able to been able to get into sort of a bit of a new routine of okay, we know we're gonna be operating out of, of Wollongong uh for the next couple of couple of months. They're able to sort of bed down and sort of feel like they've got a bit of a home away from home but i mean for perth it's uh, i don't know i'd be it'd be curious to know what people think as, as to which would be harder just knowing you're going to be working and operating and training and playing out of out of wollongong for for sort of six months sort of away from your family and friends or if if you'd be better off just um not knowing where you're going to be f- from week to week um as is the case with perth so um obviously pretty difficult for both parties but mm. still um, all right, let's get on to the Premier League, though. Here's Longstaff. Now St. Maxima. And still St. Maxima. That's what they love here. A maverick. And a magnificent maverick at that. In the very best traditions of the great entertainers that Newcastle strive to be, Alain Saint-Maximin takes his bow. Uh, just the three games were postponed in the Premier League on the, in the Boxing Day round. But uh, look, before we get into that, Colby, what's your, what's your favourite Cadbury favourite? Got to be Cherry Ripe, Tommy. Oh, good shout. I, I'm a big fan of the Cherry Ripes as well. Straight, straight into the Cherry Ripes. What's your take on on Cher- uh, Sorry, uh, the uh, Turkish delight. Are, are you a fan or? Oh yeah, what? yeah, yeah. That's normally number two for me. I would say. Well, this is this is uh, something I found very surprising in the in the last year or two. I, I um, stumbled across a. Uh, it seemed to be maybe it was just two or three people agreeing with each other, but um, I felt like it was a critical mass of people saying that Turkish delight was just garbage, and I was like, "What? I, I thought Turkish delight was was great. I, I rated as well." So. Top tier. I was very pleased to hear that you're also a fan of uh, the Turkish Delight as well. Um, something that uh, wasn't quite so sweet, and that was Manchester United's performance this morning against Newcastle. Uh, Manchester United huffed and puffed, but ultimately looked very similar to the team that struggled with Ole at the wheel just a few weeks ago. Uh, they were disjointed, gave the ball away routinely, and were shaky at the back as both Varane and Maguire struggled to deal with a motivated Newcastle side. 
A um, couple of injuries as well for, for Newcastle. Uh, it looks like St. Maximum, he came off um, what, with what looks like an injury and also Callum Wilson appears to possibly be injured as well. Maybe out. I heard the, the commentators post-match saying that he could be out for as long as sort of six to eight weeks or something with a with a, with a, a calf injury. So not, not great for Newcastle to lose probably one, one of their best players. And um, I think a lot of people seem to agree that Newcastle don't have problems scoring goals. It's everywhere else they have problems. And if they lose St. Maximum and, and Wilson, I mean, now they can't do anything. <laughs> uh, so further complications, I guess, for January for Newcastle, meaning that they, they might end up dipping into into the transfer market for a, for a striker as well, which is something that they maybe weren't planning on doing. Um. What did you uh, What did you make Colby of uh, Bruno Fernandez playing as part of the double pivot alongside Manich in the in the final fifteen minutes in this one? Interesting move, but Bruno he didn't have his best game. He, like, I, I lost count of the amount of times he he got caught in possession. Um, it was like, yeah, not not his final, not his finest hour, but um, yeah, interesting position. Let me just say, it's um, it felt like. Uh, it was a little bit reminiscent of like that um, uh, the Galacticos era uh, Real Madrid, where they they bought Ronaldo. Uh, sorry, um, they bought Beckham when they didn't need him, and sort of one of the best right midfielders in the in the world at the time. And then then they make him a centre midfielder, and it, it feels a bit like that with Bruno Fernandez at the moment, where he everyone acknowledges he's a great number ten, and he, he's just got a huge amount of energy. And they've got him doing doggies for Ronaldo, who's well past his best. And and now in this game, they had him playing as sort of like a pseudo six slash eight. Just a really weird situation for him to be in, and like I mean, it's, it's probably it goes a long way to to um, making a case for why Manchester United aren't doing as well as previous seasons is because they're playing their best player out of position at the moment. So, yeah, weird weird setup. Yeah, very strange. Um, question for you, mate did Did you have uh, Joe Ellington turning into prime Patrick Vieira on your twenty twenty one bingo cut? <laughs> 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 Prime Vieira is a bit of a strong one, Tommy. He was pretty decent. Oh, you got to like you got to give the points to some maximum, and uh, but also to the, to Newcastle's backline, like Lascelles and Emil Kraft, who I thought were quite good in this game too. So, <laughs> Prime Vieira, he had a good game. I did. I did see some. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know that I, I think he got at least. Um, uh, it was either eight tackles or eight, um, eight, eight turnovers where he's collected the ball. So, uh, Joe Ellington, he did. He did do a great, uh, great, um, great effort to to win the ball back a lot of times for for Newcastle, and then put them onto the front foot as well. So. Um, it's uh, it it does seem just a, a wild time to be alive though when yeah Joe Ellington is turning into like a fantastic box box midfielder for Newcastle though after he might signed. be turning into prime Joe Ellington let's just say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah right fair enough but look yeah a really str- uh, frustrating not only performance but also result for for Manchester United. Um, this is one that they would have looked at and thought, yeah, okay, sweet uh, Boxing Day result, uh, Boxing Day game against uh, second bottom. They they probably would have thought this is three points in the bag, but just didn't plan out that way, and and shows that Ralph Rangnick has still got plenty of work to do, I guess, with that squad. Mm. 
Um, next up is the other Manchester side. They played uh, or they hosted Leicester City um, and Leicester City's uh, defensive woes continued as City put six past them um, in this week's route. Uh, Raheem Sterling and KDB scoring three between them to wind back the clock to about 18 months ago where both were at the peak of their powers. Um, KDB was the first City player to get on the score sheet and although Bilver's been getting a lot of the plaudits this season for, for City, do you think we could see a bit of a return to uh, twenty eighteen era KDB? Oh, absolutely! Like, yeah, in the past couple of weeks, he's been vintage, absolutely vintage. But like in this game, I think when you look across the park and you've got Mares, Sterling, Gundogan, even Fernandinho having just great games alongside you, like he's just got acres of space to operate in. And for that first goal, just the the mark of how good he is. If you watch that first goal. Um, that that De Bruyne got, it just looks like time slows down. Like it looks like he has all the time in the world, but what he did is not easy. You watch players try and do what he did. You watch players try and do that in the A-League and it'll get blocked by a defender or the shot will go wide. Um, But he just made that look so easy. And I don't think even Joe Ellington could do that. (laughs) Not even prime (laughs) Joe Ellington. Um, another another thing that really stood out uh, for me for, in this game, and it wasn't Manchester City, but uh, I tell you what, I thought James Madison looked like a very motivated young man in in this game, and that um, that counter attack that that Leicester had uh, for that turned into the um, turned into the James Madison goal. I thought that was just chef's kiss, and it reminded me a little bit of you remember I think it was what uh, was it the beginning of last season when. Um, Leicester just absolutely dismantled City and everyone went, what the hell? Where did that come from? Um, but uh, it reminded me a little bit of that where Leicester just absolutely cut through the uh, the City midfield and, and showed that they, they are vulnerable still on the counter-attack. It's just... Um, well, and and it's it's always been a good matchup, um, especially in recent times. Um, uh, yeah, as you say, City a bit vulnerable to a counter-attack and Leicester have been a great transition team. But the issues with Leicester are clearly at the other end. You've got three of your best central defenders out injured long term, and you know you've got a partnership of Vestergaard and Am- Amati. Um, <laughs> so, come on, like of course, of course, you're going to be giving up a lot of chances. And Schmeichel's a great goalkeeper, but when you've got those two protecting the the goalkeeper, um, and they don't even have their best um, fullbacks in in the team at the moment either. So, I mean, they're they're really struggling across that back line. They just, I mean. They just need their players back. You almost sense that Leicester just can't wait for this season to finish, really, because I mean they're they're looking like they're they're not even going to make it into Europe this season. Even even Vardy seems to be quiet himself, and and maybe just sort of uh, time is just catching up with Vardy a little bit. Um, I noticed that I don't um, I can't remember if it was this game or it might have been uh, might have been in the. Um, the league cup um, just before Christmas. I don't think Vardy took a penalty against um, uh, against Liverpool, which is which is a little bit strange. But um, yeah, speaks to I guess uh, maybe a little bit of sort of squad evolution as far as Vardy's concerned um, at Leicester. Which I mean, they they need to do that too because um, as as good as Vardy has been for the last sort of three, four, five, six years, um, he's not getting any younger either. Um. 
Moving on, though, uh, Norwich, they hosted Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal continued their good form with a free-scoring win here at home. Um, sorry, at Norwich, I should say. Uh, two goals from Bakayo Saka and one each from Kirantini, Lacazette from the spot, and Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, Saka and uh, Smith-Rowe have both been in fantastic form this season, Colby. And I want to get your take on who you thought, uh, who do you rate better, Saka or Smith-Rowe? Saka's my boy, Tommy. I, I rate him, rate him very highly, uh, and I just I like him. I like everything he does. Um, but uh, ESR very highly rated also, and those little shin pads that he wears just gives him the edge. It just allows <laughs> him to move more quickly around the pitch. I'd say they're, they're like, unfair uh, advantage. Built, built for speed. Built for speed. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, but they they just looked so good in this game. I mean, it's Norwich, and they're a bunch mm. of witches hats, but um, they bunch uh, of they look like. They look like they're really clicking into gear like that young side, and we said it uh, last week as well. We've been saying it for the past couple of weeks that look they they look like a team who's who's turned a corner. Um, they're getting the best out of uh, Saka, Tierney, uh, Emil Smith Rowe, um, Odegaard, I mean, even Martinelli, even back. my even my other boy Swagriel Martinelli, he's back. Uh, like they just look good. Um, they, they look really good. So I mean I've probably jinxed them by by saying that, but um yeah they're, they're looking they're looking like a very good balance between youth and experience at the moment, and even without bad boy Obama Yang. Yeah, and I guess that's that's the thing. I think a lot of people would have been expecting that maybe things sort of might have fallen apart without sort of the goal scorer at Arsenal with with Aubameyang not being uh, not being able to to put away all the chances for for Arsenal. But maybe without Aubameyang, maybe they're going to go to another level as well. Even I mean, um, it, it does mean that. Um, uh, Lacazette is able to play as a genuine number nine now, whereas he seems to have played pretty much everything but number nine for the last couple of years. So, uh, so maybe it's his his chance really to just grab that number nine uh, jersey by the by the horns and um, and and be the be the the first choice number nine, I guess for for Arsenal, which it's probably been overdue that he's been given sort of that that level of responsibility. So. Um, and we haven't even mentioned their defenders either, like Ramsdale. Who would have thought? That, like he's just gone to another level. It's completely cut Leno out of the team, and um, and White is seems to be coming good on the promise there. And um, Gabriel, yeah, no, Gabriel, like seems to be coming good on his promise as well. Like it's it's it, the across the whole squad, you've got guys that look like they they might be hitting their potential, and we haven't been able to say that about Arsenal in a while. Yeah, it's um, it, it's almost boring how consistent they've been over the last sort of what three months, four months uh, since that. I think it was City that absolutely just dismantled them. And I, I guess if there's one thing that may be of concern for Arsenal and, and their fans is that they're probably about ready. Uh, they're, they're about due, I should say, to to play the likes of City and Liverpool again. So, um, so it'd be very interesting to see how they they go second time around now that they have sort of turned a bit of a corner and and are playing some better football and and look better defensively and going forward. So um, exciting times for Arsenal fans. Uh, Spurs defeated Palace 3-0 at New White Hart Lane with Harry, Harry Kane scoring just his third goal of the season. Um, but it was Lucas Moura who was the star of the show, two assists and a well-taken goal for him. Um, Lucas Moura has seen uh, probably the biggest improvement in form out of any of the Spurs players since Conte arrived. Do you think Lucas Moura is finally playing to his potential? He was always playing to his potential. He's just one of those players. I mean, playing in a team with 
with Harry Kane and Song Hyun Min. Um, and then you go, you've got other players in the team that take the limelight for other reasons, like Deli Ali and um, Eric Dyer. But uh, Lucas Mora has always, I've, in my opinion, gone under the radar in that side. But I just can't get over his header in this game. He's like one of the shortest <laughs> blokes on the pitch. And had no right to win that header. And one of the shortest oh. blokes in the Premier League. That was like an AFL hanger. Like he just got up on that bloke's <laughs> shoulders and just, right, I'm having this. Uh, it was just a lovely, lovely goal. And you'd love to see it. Just wanted it more. <laughs> uh, someone else that maybe wanted it maybe too much was Wilf Sahar. Uh, he was sent off for an entirely predictable series of events that only Wilf Sahar could put himself in. Just uh, like at, at what point does uh, you, you have to sort of throw your hands in the air as, as someone at, at Palace and say, he's just never going to get it? Yeah, I mean, death taxes and Zaha like doing Zaha things and just like having a meltdown. Would be exceptionally frustrating. And I mean, uh, he's not getting any younger and I'd actually doubt there'd be anyone out there that might say, yeah, all right, we, we would take a chance on him at a big club now because I think he's, what, 28, might even be 29. So he's probably not going to a big club. And I think, honestly, at this point in, in his career, I think the best that Palace could hope for is that someone from, well, I would have probably said China maybe 12 months ago, but even now that maybe that door's closed as well with the the problems that the, the financial problems that the Chinese Super League is having. So... They might be stuck with Sahar until either his contract runs out or just sort of for the long haul now. So um, really frustrating, I guess, that um, he doesn't seem to have really grown up, for lack of a, a better term. Um, but obviously now he's going to be suspended for the, the next game as well, which yeah, is really, really frustrating, I guess, for, for Pulse fans. Um, Connor, Gallag- Connor Gallagher also pulled up lame uh, and I think ended up being substituted as a result of his injury. Um, Palace are really going to miss him if he's out for an extended period of time. Uh, I'm not really sure how, how Palace could really deal with with his absence, though. I mean, um, since he's arrived, I mean, he's on he's on set pieces. He's, um, he's kind of doing everything. And even though he's on loan, which is a, a bit of a strange set of circumstances for Palace to be in, really, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah, they're, I mean, they'd be mad if they didn't try and sign him after what after the impact he's had at the club. But I've noticed a few Conor Gallagher on on the run sheet uh, questions from you, Tommy. But um, I think this is why we, we've got to start doing your boys in retrospect. We can't name our, our boys in advance. I think it's it's going to have to be an end of the season thing because he's clearly your boy. Um, you got on the gra- in the ground floor early in fantasy and you've, you've just really got around Conor Gallagher this season. Mate, I'm, I'm glad that you recognise that Conor Gallagher is my boy. So, um, and, and now now that we've re- finally recognised it on the pod, he's going to be injured and probably out for the rest of the season. So, yeah. Good <laughs> and work. then you'll dump him like he did with poor, um, uh, what's his name from Max Burgess? You'll you're gonna dump him like Burgess when he's no longer, uh, you know, doing bits on the on the pitch. Well, I tell you what, if if Mac, uh, Max Burgess, if Conor Gallagher, Conor Gallagher goes back to Chelsea next season because they think they're going to play him, um, then I tell you what, Conor Gallagher is dead to me. If if he doesn't, <laughs> if he's not playing at Palace next season, then no, he, he's just I'm finished with him. He's not my boy anymore. <laughs> Uh, all right, moving on though, West Ham, they hosted Southampton um, and West Ham's poor form continued as late penalty gave Southampton all three points. 
Um, bit of a stat for you here about West Ham over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, West Ham have got one point from five games since Kurt Zuma's major injury um, against Chelsea. Um, and they've also only had two wins against uh, one was against Chelsea and one was against Rapid Vienna in all competitions since Ogbonna was injured against Liverpool. So um, and I think that that was something like eight or nine games or something. So West Ham in a really bad run of form at the moment. Um, and they've they've since been dumped out of the AFL Cup just before Christmas. And they've slid down to sixth now. So um, obviously a little bit grim times, I guess, for, for West Ham at the moment. But um, with January coming up, there is an opportunity, I guess, not only for, not only not only for them to um, pad out the squad a little bit, where previously they might have thought they were pushing for a top four spot. Now it's just a um, a way that they can reinforce the squad against um, slipping into mid table. So um, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting, I guess, to see who West Ham bring in in, in January. Um, as far as Southampton go, though, um, interesting stat here. This was Southampton's first away win in 14 games, which absolutely blows me away. Um, I mean, I know Southampton have been bad on the road for quite a while, but I didn't realize they were that bad. Yeah, it's a crazy stat, Tommy. Um, but on on West Ham, I mean, like you've just got to get your centre-backs right, don't you? Like that's the same story as we were saying at Leicester. Like when you've got a problem like that in your spine, you're going you're gonna to struggle. Pretty much, and I think um, I think Issa Diop, um, who I've I've wanted and just been willing to sort of turn a corner for quite some time now, and he's been at the club what three or four years, and I, I guess I'm I'm starting to come to the conclusion that maybe he's just not going to cut it, and maybe he needs to go out on loan and 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 play. Maybe he needs to go back to France for a year and and just get just get games underneath his belt because he just seems error prone. He, just seems to be maybe lacking a little bit of confidence and, and just needs to develop a little bit more before maybe he's ready for ready for the Premier League because he's just he's just not quite there. He's just not quite ready, I think. And, um, I mean, you, you don't necessarily improve a hell of a lot just by sitting on the bench and he hasn't played a lot in the last probably two years. So um, I think West Ham will definitely look to bring in a centre-back in, in January. So um, as far as Southampton go, I mean, They've jumped up to 14th and they're nine points clear of the relegation zone. So they're, they're sitting pretty good at the moment, much as, as that probably pisses off uh, the likes of Jesse, who have been saying that Southampton have been circling the drain now for the last couple of years. So, uh, sorry, Jesse and all of the Southampton haters. Um, but yeah, they're not going down, I think, this year. I've never understood what Jesse's problem with Southampton is. Like, I mean, he hates West Brom, but uh, Southampton just don't don't know what he's got against the, the poor guys. Maybe maybe he's just a turkey man. Maybe he just doesn't like the the Southampton um, around Christmas. So doesn't like dry meat. <laughs> um, I, I just the only problem I have with them is their their kit. This like that blue and yellow away kit was just absolutely shocking. I think that's a, that historically has been sort of one of their away kits, but yeah, it's it's not not a great kit, is it? Yuck. Um. Onto the final, the second last game, uh, two Jorginho IPAs and a Lukaku header were enough to give Chelsea a three-one win at Villa Park. Uh, Lukaku made his return from injury uh, off the bench at half time in this one. Um, do you think Lukaku's return is a game changer for Chelsea, either in the Champions League or in the league, or are they pretty much locked into second slash third place now with City just running away with the league? Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to see anyone stopping City at this point. Mm. Um, 
I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're top at Christmas and they just, like we're saying, everyone in their team is just on fire at the moment and they just look in ominous form. But yeah, Lukaku being back for Chelsea and if he can get him to keep himself fit and, and stay in the goals, like, yeah, I think it will be a game changer, but I think it will just result in them finishing second or third. Chelsea, uh, City and Liverpool are leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the league. And I think the table will reflect that at the end of the season. But the order in which they're going to finish, I mean... We don't know. We think it's going to be City 1. They could be, yeah, and, it, and it'll just be Chelsea and Liverpool bat, battling it out for second spot. What's really interesting this year is they say that um, like that December, um, Christmas, New Year period is is where you really start to see like the, the men from the boys being separated. But I think this year it's going to be um, January between... Um, Af- uh, Africa Cup of Nations, I think that's obviously going to have a massive impact on Liverpool and obviously they've got to make it through that period, although I think Chelsea and Liverpool might only have maybe two games that are affected by that um, due to scheduling. So um, it's still still very much, I guess, up in the air as to how how everyone's going to be sitting come the end of January. So interesting times ahead. Um, the other point I've got about this one is that uh, Tuchel said this week that despite Chelsea's midfield injury crisis, which saw Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic and Loftus-Cheek all out for um, different periods of time, um, that it was the, that uh, Chelsea had made the right decision to see um, uh, Gallagher, my boy, go out on loan to Palace. Uh, Gallagher can't be recalled now. Um, back to Chelsea after hitting an arbitrary minimum games threshold. Um, what do you what do you make of Tuchel's comments? Do you think that the likes of uh, Gallagher sh- should have been held over at Chelsea or would we not have seen, uh, I guess, Gallagher really sort of break out this season if he if he hadn't have hadn't have played much sort of leading up into to, um, December and January? I think he I think he called it Tommy. The best thing for Conor Gallagher was his loan to Crystal Palace. I don't think he would have got a look in at um, at Chelsea. May, I mean, maybe he would on this the form that he's shown this season. He's there's no denying he's in an absolute purple patch but yeah like Chelsea they're just stacked like you said they've got Jorginho, Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, Kante and let's not forget they signed Seoul <laughs> they've got Ross Barkley who can do a job um yeah like they're, they're absolutely stacked in the middle of the park yeah and, and that's a good point I mean uh, Loftus-Cheek has been playing a little bit in the last couple of weeks with with the injuries that they've had but I mean Kovacic is back now and I I can't really see Loftus-Cheek getting much of a run now uh, with Kovacic being back. And, I mean, Loftus-Cheek has probably not really set the world alight while he's been uh, filling in. So, um, yeah, look, Gallagher might have got a run sort of in early December, but that probably would have meant that he would have done nothing apart from sit on the bench um, all throughout, uh, what, like August, September, October. And once you've got a player that's sitting on the bench for that long, it's it's really hard to come straight into the team and make an impact. Um, all right, finally, uh, final match of the round was Brighton um, hosting Brentford, Battle of the Bees. Um, and it seems as though the apocalypse is upon us um, with Trossard and Malpe both scoring in a match for Brighton. So um, uh, great result for Brighton. Um, and two really good finishes, I've got to say, as well, for Trossard and Malpe as well. Um Two players who get into a lot of amazing positions and just never seem to, they seem to find a way not to score rather than finding a way to score. So, um, so good to see them both get on the score sheet. 
Oh, if you haven't if you haven't seen the Trossard goal, go and go and look it up. I think that's goal of the round for me. It's probably like I mean, it's almost goal of the season. It was so good, like that improvised over the shoulder finish, like just cushions it over the keeper. It was delicious. I feel like you see a lot of a lot of players attempt to score a goal like that, and it just doesn't come off. It either goes wide because they sort of lost their bearings a little bit, or it'll go over the cro- over the crossbar because it's really hard to do to get it up over the goalkeeper and then also make sure it drops in time to, to actually go into the goal. So um, interesting, um, interesting that and as well. Like you say, just great finish. Um, but look, that uh, does wrap up the pod for for this week and the the Premier League coverage. So. Um, it's been uh, been great having everyone along with us. I hope you all had a, a great break over the Christmas break and uh, we'll be back again after New Year in 2022. Uh, so until then, enjoy the football. Mm-hmm.